I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue with our series in the book of Luke. Now this time of year, this is kind of, uh, you know, it's graduation in our house this last week. And for a lot of us, we have the end of the school year. We have graduation parties. You have, uh, this is the wedding season for, for most of the, the country. We have it all year round. But uh, so all of these celebrations usually have uh, the same thing in common. And celebrations universally involve food, right? That is, you can't really have a party without food. You can't have a celebration without food. And, and food is this universal symbol of hospitality. It's a universal symbol of fellowship and of acceptance. And so uh, food is always a big part of things. Now, today we're going to look at a story in Scripture where food is included, and it's a big part of the story. But in the ancient world, it was very much the same, where food was an indication of fellowship, of acceptance, of harmony. If you sat at the table with someone, if you fed them, it, there was more to it than just the food. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. Now, for the nation of Israel, this was very much the same. In fact, food for them and feasting became not just a thing that you do to indicate acceptance of someone, but it also became uh, their imagery that they used for this messianic or God's anointed one, the one that he would send, so the Son of God sent to earth. Later we learned that it's Jesus Christ. But the imagery was when the Messiah comes, there was this imagery of this big feast, which represented the kingdom of God. And that represents the eternal kingdom of God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 25, I have these verses on the screen for you. This was one of the passages that became very significant for, especially by the time of Jesus and first century Israel, for this indication of what they thought of the Messiah and of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, it says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all people on his mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, with, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all the people, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all the faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So this section is, uh, indicates a little bit of the ideas of the kingdom of God and the imagery that was used. And it's all around a feast. It's all around food. So today, as we look at the story of Jesus kind of throwing a feast this time, we want to know that in the background of it, there's all this extra imagery that's happening and, and anytime there's indication of food that we want to ask, well, why, why is this going on? And as we've been talking about throughout this series, anytime we hear a story about Jesus or a miracle, you want to ask, well, why is this one recorded and why did he do that? Because he doesn't have to do the thing. So we want to have that background of the feast and of the importance of food in our mind as we get to our text. And before we do, pray with me. God, we ask that right now that as we look into your word, that you would teach us that this would be about you, and Lord, I ask that uh, you, we believe you're present, but we want to experience your presence in this place. So meet us here. In your name, amen. We are in Luke chapter 9, and today we're going to pick it up in verse 12, and I'm going to read these verses for you as we've been doing kind of throughout this series so you understand, hear the story, and then we'll give a little more context to it so you can understand it more. Luke chapter 9, verse 12 says this, Now the day was ending... 
and the twelve, this is referring to the twelve disciples, they came and said to Jesus, send the crowd away that they may go into surrounding villages in the countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50. They did so and had them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 basketfuls. So what we have here is just a really brief encounter. Maybe if you're familiar with scripture, you've heard the story before. Uh, If it's new to you, well, then it's new. And we want to kind of understand this. Now, this is one of the only miracles that is described in all four Gospels. When we talk about the Gospels, that means the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And all four authors, when writing about the life of Christ, decided to include this miracle story in their account. Now, each of the authors often would tell certain stories, maybe leave some out, and and partly it was because they were trying to communicate a a certain idea about who Jesus was. It wasn't because it didn't happen or something happened with one of them. It was what emphasis they wanted to have. All four of them chose to emphasize this miracle for some reason. Now, when you have the advantage of multiple authors writing about the same story, one thing that you can do when you're studying throughout scripture is read all four accounts and see if there's any extra details that you can find. Now, most of these accounts are pretty similar, but uh, I'll, I'll fill in a couple of the details so we understand all, using all four stories that we know. This first look happened on the side of uh, a city called Bethsaida, which is in Galilee, probably next to Capernaum. There's still debate to this day about where Bethsaida is. There's two locations, but they're both on either side of Bethsaida up there in the northern Sea of Galilee. Now, why that's significant? We've been talking about it a couple weeks, and, and if you've missed it, one of the significance about that is that it's in the Jewish territory, the side of the lake that was predominantly Jewish uh, people. So they had a certain belief about the Messiah and, and all that. Now, so it's on that side of the lake. Jesus has been teaching. He was uh, performing a few miracles. The crowds were there, and they were getting hungry. And it, in, story, in the story here, according to the book of Mark, Mark says, Jesus looked at the crowd and felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he wanted to do something. So the, the extra flavor that we get from Mark is that he says Jesus actually felt compassion when he looked at the crowd. And that was messianic language again, saying that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, the sheep weren't able to find food on their own. They weren't able to go to water. They weren't able to find protection. And so the shepherd would protect them, guide them, and lead them. And so Jesus had this heart for them that he wanted to lead them in that way. Now, we also find that there was five pieces of bread and two fish. The book of John tells us that that was some young, it was a boy's lunch or something. He, they said, this little lad here has five loaves and two fish. We can make a big deal about that, or maybe we, there might not be a big deal. Sometimes I've heard the sermons that this is about this willing offering. We don't know the boy was willing. We just know that he had the food. So he might have said, you can't have my lunch. Are you kidding me? So, so we don't want to make too much of that, but that was in the story. Now, but what we do know is in all the occasions that with those five loaves and two fish, 
that Jesus gives thanks for them. He breaks the bread, and as he continues to break it, there's plenty, and it feeds everybody. Now, how did that look? I don't know. Uh, in Scripture, if, if we are to believe that Jesus was God in flesh, then we can believe, okay, this doesn't make sense in our mind, but okay, a miracle happened here. He performed this miracle. How did he do it? The authors didn't want us to know how he did it because it wasn't the point. They didn't say, and it looked like this. It wasn't like on Hogwarts, all of a sudden there was a feast on the table there. Any fans who know what I'm talking about? Great. The rest of you just smile and nod. So we continue on there, but somehow there's all this food that was supplied for everybody. And the point was, there wasn't much. There was five loaves and two fish, but everyone had all they needed. They were satisfied. And not just did God provide, but he provided in abundance because there was 12 baskets left over. That's the heart of the story, that God miraculously provided food, and then there's 12 baskets left over. So he miraculously provided, and he abundantly provided. Now, let's get into the real heart of this. So why did he do this? Why this story? Why the bread? Why the feast? What is the significance of that? Why did he choose to indicate who he was through this way? So we want to go back even deeper into the history of the, is, uh, of the Jewish people. History of Israel to understand that bread takes on even more significance to them. You see, because their history began as they were growing as a people group, that they ended up being in slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years, until Moses, one of their prophets, led them out of Egypt in what we know as, as the Exodus. Now, he led them from Egypt into the wilderness, and the wilderness was what we have as southern Jordan today. And if you know what southern Jordan looks like, it's, it, it, has anyone ever made the drive from uh, on the 8 going east, uh, and, and you kind of leave San Diego, and then the next thing you know, you feel like, am I on Mars or where am I? Because all they are is rocks piled up on the side of the road and dirt. That's all it is. Anyone tracking with me? You guys know that? That's what, that's what Jordan looks like. And so Egypt, where they were living, and even though they were in slavery, it was a luscious land, and so there was a lot of agriculture. It'd be like leaving the lagoons of North San Diego County and being led out to East County. And and, and so that was the freedom that God was giving them. (laughs) And when they got out there in the desert and they looked around, and all there was was rocks and heat and dust, they started complaining and saying, God, are you serious? I mean, we're, we're okay with you leading us out of slavery, but look where you led us. <laughs> and they started asking questions like, is this actually better? And in fact, in Exodus chapter 16, they ask that question. They don't even ask it. They just say, we would rather be slaves in Egypt where at least we got good food to eat. <laughs> and God hears their complaining. And in Exodus chapter 16... It says that he provides what's called manna from heaven. Now, the manna, it was some sort of, it said like a coriander seed. We don't know even what that means in the Hebrew, but something, some sort of grain that they were provided day after day, miraculously. They took the grain and they made it into bread or into flat bread or cakes or something. And that's, God had provided and said, I will give you food. In fact, in Exodus chapter 16, Uh, It says this, starting in verse 4, it says, God says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day. And then he goes all the way down in verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against him. So God heard their grumblings. Now grumblings is another word for whining. So God heard their whining and he provided. So this is a a verse I haven't been able to apply to my parenting at all. When I hear your whining and I will give you what you want. But I'm not God, so I don't need to do that. But so that is the picture of what's going on. They're wandering in the desert and they start complaining and saying, this is not better. How can, and, and, and think of this. They were just led out of Egypt and the Red Sea parted and miracul- they just saw God's hand and then they said, oh, really? The desert? So God shows up and provides. Now that was a big part of their history. This event was something they would remember year after year after year. So it was very clear to them that God can miraculously provide bread. It was part of their heritage. So now you fast forward and we have Jesus with his people. And he sees their needs. He has compassion on them. And he decides, I'm going to throw a feast. I'm going to provide bread and and multiply this fish and these loaves, and I'm going to throw a feast for the people in a miraculous way that can only be done by God. So why the bread? He starts off, and really, first of all, the bread is a symbol of his deity. It's a symbol of the fact that Jesus was God among them, because in their minds, the only person who can provide bread this way would be God. So Jesus says, I'm going to reaffirm my message that I am God among you. And we see that theme pop up over and over in the book of Luke. So one of the things of the bread of this feast is it's a symbol of his deity. In fact, in John chapter 6, it's John's version of the story. And when he gets down to uh, verse 35 in John chapter 6, I have it on the screen for you. It says this, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So Jesus used this as a teaching moment for the people when they said, well, God provided manna in the desert as a symbol, as a sign. And Jesus says, I am that bread. So you saw this sign of my miracles. Now you must know that I'm the one. I am the bread of life. So the bread becomes a symbol of God's deity. And this is a a thing that is now celebrated to this day. Now, the other part of this is this feast also becomes a symbol of God's plan of salvation. It becomes a symbol of the life that, or the way God wants to interact with all the nations. I want you to turn with me over to the book of Mark. And that's one uh, book backwards in your Bible. Book of Mark in chapter 8. Now, Mark tells the same story about Jesus miraculously showing up, providing bread, feeding the people, And the first one was, again, on the Jewish side. Now, also, I have, I went out of order, but you want to show this slide there? This this is actually on the Jewish side where Jesus, this is a a mosaic from third century. So it's found and uncovered in a church there, and it's celebrating the bread and the loaves. So you can see something that has been around for a very long time on the Jewish side in, in an area near Capernaum. And so for a long time, people have been celebrating this miracle. Now, the book of Mark uh, moves on, and he talks about that story, but now he talks about a different story. In chapter 8, Mark starts off, and he says, In those days, when there was again a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. So, 
But in the beginning of chapter 8, in those days, there was a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. We want to ask, wait, didn't this story just happen? But in Mark, there's something different. The one we just read was actually back in chapter 6. But here we are in chapter 8, and it starts off almost the same. But the difference now is he's on the other side of the lake. He's back in the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is a city that we talked about, or a region, a, a grouping of cities, we talked about a few weeks ago, and it's largely Gentile. It was a Greco-Roman town, had a lot of Greek influence, and one of the things we pointed out was they still worshipped Greek gods there, and they uh, worshipped Caesar, so they have a temple to Caesar. Uh, we showed the imagery a few weeks ago of they actually have uncovered a temple to the god Pan, um, to the god Dionysus, so there was a worship of all these foreign gods on the other side of the lake. It was the non-Jewish side of the lake. When Jesus was there the first time, the crowds told him to leave because Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit. Everyone was terrified. They were afraid of what they saw. And they said, Jesus, get out of here. Just leave. We're afraid of you because he had just shown up all of their gods. So he left, but the one man who was healed, he said, go and tell everyone what God has done for you. So the man leaves. Now, this story, they're back on the other side, back in the region of the Decapolis, and notice the difference. This time, there was large crowds gathered to hear Jesus. We don't know how much time passed, but we do know that one man whose life was changed went and told the story of what God had done, and when he comes back, there's masses gathering to hear Jesus. So Mark writes about it in chapter 8. It says, in the day there was again a large crowd. They had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for these people because they have remained with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come a long distance. And when the disciples heard them, they said, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Now, don't you think that if you just had a similar story, like, I don't know, a month before, and the same kind of scenario, and they said, where will we possibly find enough food, Jesus? And he miraculously provides it. The next time he says, go feed them, don't you think maybe this time you're like, oh, are you going to do that bread thing again? <laughs> but what do they say? They say, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? Slow learners. So, Jesus asked them, and he said, and, and, and I just think, don't you think like the authors left out some of, the, some of the interchange here? I think they left out a little bit of what Jesus probably really said. Like, are you seriously asking me how we're going to do this? Okay. And in verse 5, Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. He started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered them to be served as well. And they ate, and they were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over, the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away, and immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanatha. So the story sounds very simil similar, does it not? But there's something different going on. See, Jesus is using this bread again 
Now, on this side, the Gentile side, they would hear this, and I don't think they were going, oh, this is like the manna from heaven. But something different happened on the Roman side. See, the Roman Caesar started with uh, Caesar Augustus. He started a thing that Tiberius, who was a Caesar at the time, continued. In fact, all the Caesars did this act with bread, so much so that by the end of the first century, there was a satirical author who actually made fun of the Caesars and said the way they rule the nations is to provide bread and circuses. In other words, as long as people are full and they're entertained, you can rule them. So what the Caesars would do is they would actually cut off all trade and all food and all that, and then they would show up with a bunch of bread and then provide it for all the people to say, look, Caesar's so gracious to you that he provides your bread. In fact, in the first century, there was one saying in some cities where they said Caesar is the one who will give us our daily bread. And so you have this indication on the Roman side that they believed their bread, their provision, everything comes from Caesar. They worshiped Caesar in temples on this side. So again, Jesus is coming and saying, okay, you don't understand the manna. That doesn't help you understand that I'm God, but I want you to know that I'm greater than Caesar. I'm greater than all your other gods. That this is a symbol of who I really am. And it's also a symbol that this message is for you as well who feel like you're on the outside. Now, this is where it gets kind of cool if you're a nerd and you like this stuff like me. So here we go. So then right after that, some of the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and they said, well, if you say you're God, can you give us some sort of sign? Which seems like he just did, but okay. And then he says, what, why does this generation keep asking for a sign? So Jesus has this debate with Pharisees. Now, verse 14 of Mark 8. The disciples got back in the boat, right? They got back in the boat. They're going back to the Jewish side. Verse 14 says they had forgotten to take bread with them, and they did not have more than one loaf in the, in the boat with them. So Mark wants us to know what's actually happening. They get back in the boat, and they don't have bread. And Jesus starts teaching them because he, he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven referred to the yeast that's in bread, and when it was applied to a person or an ideology or anything like that, meant this little bit of thought, the leaven of the Pharisees, the thought life of the Pharisees, the thought life of Herod, watch out for that because it's like yeast. It will ruin the whole batch of bread. It'll ruin all of who you are if you start buying in. So that's what Jesus is teaching them. But the disciples who are in the boat, they forgot to bring lunch. Jesus starts teaching them, and here's what they think. Look in verse 16. The disciples begin to discuss the fact with one another that they had no bread. So they're thinking, Jesus is, oh, he's totally calling us out. We forgot to bring the bread. This is what he's talking about, right? Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Like, yeah, he knows we didn't bring bread. That's what they're freaking out about. And Jesus asks this great question. He's aware of the fact that they're talking about it. And he says, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not yet see? Having ears, do you not yet hear? Do you not remember? This is kind of driving in his point, is he? <laughs> when I broke the five loaves of bread for 5,000, how many baskets full did you pick up? Uh, Twelve. When I broke seven for 4,000, how many large basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? They said, seven. And then he said, do you not yet understand? 
End of the conversation. It stops right there. That's the end of it. So they have this interchange, and Jesus, they think it's all about the bread. They think it's about the food. And Jesus looks at them and is like, seriously, guys, you don't get this? Do you not get what's happening? It's not about the bread. And I want to show you one little thing here. And this is not something we need to hang our whole theology on, but it's an interesting fact. Now, on the Jewish side, Jesus fed all the people, and they had 12 baskets left over. We talked about a few, year, a few weeks ago that on that side, the, the, Gentile, or the Jews in that area called that region the region of the 12. It's the 12 remaining tribes. And it represented the 12 nations of Israel. So in a way, God was saying, I'm providing, I am enough for all 12 of my tribes, for all my people, not just the ones who are here, but I, can, I will be the God for all of you. The 12 could indicate this idea of the 12 tribes. Now on the other side of the lake, they called it the region of the seven. It was the seven pagan nations mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that were in the land of Israel. So on the Gentile side, he says, how many baskets were picked up? Seven. In other words, could it be that Jesus was saying, do you not understand? Do you not get what this is about? It's not the bread. It's that I am God and I am enough for you on the Jewish side and I am enough for you on the Gentile side. That my plan is for all people. That I care about those on both sides of the lake. That I this is my, you are my creation, that I care about you, I love you, and I am enough for you. Do you not yet get it? And then he probably went back to sleep in the boat. <laughs> Could you imagine what the disciples kept rowing? I have a feeling they were rowing and looked at each other like, do you get it? No, I didn't. <laughs> so the question for us here in, a, in response is, do we still fail to understand Do we still fail to grasp who Jesus is? Do we fail to believe that he is God with us? Do we look at the ways he's worked in maybe your life or the lives of the people around you and you fail to, we we keep forgetting and we keep getting the lesson time and time again. When we're forgiven, do we live in guilt and fail to understand the good news of Jesus that he's the point, not you? That it's not about the bread, it's about the bread giver. That it's about the forgiveness that he can give and you don't have to earn your way back. This is the other thing. On both sides of the lake, the people never made themselves worthy for the bread. They never had demonstrated great faith. They never did anything but got hungry. They had a need and God met it. It wasn't about the bread. It was about the bread giver. So do we fail to remember that? Do we fail to understand? Do you struggle to believe or to accept that God has a plan for all people? Is it hard for you to say, well, I understand that he cares about his 12, the 12 tribes and his people, but is it hard for you to accept that on the other side of the lake that he is God there too? And that even among people who maybe don't believe in him or live lifestyles that aren't conducive of a life of Christ, they're not representing his ways, but even those he loves and is God for them, if they would just receive. Is that hard to accept? Because it's not about the bread in these stories. It's a reminder that God loves the people he's created and he has a plan to redeem and restore and make all things new.
That's what the good news is. That's what we celebrate week after week. This is just a reminder of the good news once again. People undeserving who are made worthy because of the bread giver. That's the story. That's what we're reminded of. I was trying to think of a good book or a good story, a movie, anything that had a, you know, a, an image of this acceptance. And, and there's a lot of good ones out there, but I, I landed on just an American movie classic, Goonies. And um, <laughs> pretty sure it was Academy, Academy Award winning. And there's a scene in Goonies, and you didn't know it was biblical, did you? Yeah, this is a theological masterpiece. So there's a scene in Goonies where uh, this character named Chunk, <laughs> who uh, was caught by the bad guys, and he's in this little dungeon, and he's a little kid who um, was always eating everything and always talking, and, and he gets thrown in the dungeon with another guy. And this guy was the younger brother of the bad guys, but he had a bunch of deformities, and even little kids don't like to watch the movie Goonies because they see him and get freaked out. But so he's in the dungeon with this bigger guy that everyone's afraid of, and he's tied up in chains because he's dangerous, and he's scary to look at, and he's not accepted, and they don't let him go out in public because he's unclean in a way. And Chunk is in the room with him, and they look at each other, and Chunk reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a baby Ruth bar. <laughs> And he peels it and he takes a bite of it and he hands it over to the guy who's chained up and deformed. And he takes a bite, the other guy takes a bite and they share a baby Ruth together. And uh, have that great scene with baby Ruth, you know what I'm saying? Anyone tracking? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, good. All right. <laughs> and I think of that and I think that that is kind of a picture of what the story is. It's this picture of someone who is completely unaccepted, who is deformed, feels unworthy, isn't accepted by anyone, and yet here's the food saying, hey, you're welcomed in. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And as we end with that, really using the scene really from Goonies, I want us to put ourselves in that place. Because that's really what Jesus is reminding us of. As you, from time to time, may feel unworthy. You might feel that there's nothing in you that's beautiful. Nothing in you that's loving or lovable. And yet God reaches out and says, no, 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 I see past that. I see past that. And I want to give you life. I want to give you so much more. You're accepted. You're welcomed in, in my kingdom. Would you just receive it? So this morning as we end, we're going to end with a song and just remind ourselves of the work that we believe that God's able to do in our lives. Some of you are here this morning maybe with some brokenness, maybe doubt. You're skeptical. You're not sure what you believe. And we want you to know this morning that God sees past all of that. And he can handle all of that. And he reaches out. And he's offering you a feast. And so let's remind ourselves of that today and end our time. God, we thank you so much for a reminder that it's not about the bread, that it's about you as the bread giver. And we thank you that in this time, Lord, that we might be here and feeling unworthy. We might be feeling like, or we're not deserving of this feast. 
But God, we're grateful that this morning that you reach out, that you offer it to each one of us. We're grateful that it's about you as God. And so we thank you and we give you this time now, Lord. And I ask that if there's anyone in this place who's here this morning, anyone who's coming with some fear and some doubt, Lord, would you meet them there? Anyone here this morning who feels unworthy, would you let them know that you are big enough to accept that, to see beyond that? And if there's anyone here, Lord, this morning who's maybe just coming with pain and hurt, would you meet them in that place as well? And Lord, so we give this time to you, and as we end this time declaring who you are through a song, Lord, we ask that this would be about you, and not about the bread, but it's about the giver of the bread. And so we thank you for meeting us in this place here. We thank you for this time, and we offer it to you now. In your name, amen.